We're going to welcome Pastor Dave with a big Bethel Christian Fellowship welcome. Pastor Sam, if you'd pray. I've only known Dave for 15 years, not 30 or 40 or something. Well, God, thank you so much for Dave and for his life, for his ministry, how he's uh, given of himself to impart into others like myself and, uh, and many others besides me. And Lord, we thank you that, that you have a word for us today and that you've brought Pastor Dave here to bring that word. So Lord, we ask that you would speak to him, speak through him. Yeah. And even in the midst of this time, God, that, that he would be blessed as he brings the word that is a blessing to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Great to see you guys doing okay today. Well, it is really exceptional to be with you. I was very, very blessed for the children and their participation in what's going on. Why don't we give, up, give it up again for the children and the parents. We tell our folks that we are joining with our parents in their greatest mission, and that is raising the next generation or the generation who is with us now because it is a privilege to have kids. Amen? Amen. Well, the seasons are changing, right? And the leaves are turning glorious colors into nothingness, right? Winter is going to be here soon. And so as our seasons are going in that direction, I want God to work in our life in the opposite direction, bringing new life to us, bringing new colors in our life, and having our roots go deep and the fruit of our life be abundant. Because God's transformational power is at work. I'm going to say amen to that, right? Because he is a God of transformation. We don't need more information, but we need to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ because that is what God's will for us in Christ Jesus is, that we would look more day by day like Christ. I'm all for the gifts of the Spirit and seeing miracles and signs and wonders, but I believe the truest power of God is that it changes people from being unloving to loving, from being impatient to patient, right? From being crabby to joyful, all right? Changing our character so that we now live and look like the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So I want more of that in my life, and hopefully together we'll say, God, we want your power to work in us, to transform us, so that we will look more and more like your son. Amen? But there's an unfortunate problem with our current society, that there is a disease of the soul that I have called hurryitis. okay? Rushing, 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 right? Now, our society has given us tons of things to help us on our way, right? When you get up in the morning, we jump in the shower, and we don't have time for both shampoo and conditioner, so we put them together, right? And we put it on our hair to get done. And then we run out and we go to our instant coffee machines and get our espresso with one button. And then we jump into our turbo drive, uh, drive vehicles and go on the expressway and get in the express lane to get where we're going. And on the way to our business, we go pick up packages from Federal Express and sit down and quickly get on the information superhighway to get all of our information on our devices as quickly as we can, right? And we go through the day trying to accomplish things, and perhaps at lunch we'll go to a restaurant, and it's a fast food restaurant, right? They advertise not the quality of the food, but the quickness of the food, right? 
And we don't have time to necessarily go into the restaurant, so we go away around the drive-thru, right, and eat our food in our vehicles as God intended, right? That's what we do. And then we go through the rest of our day, and perhaps we go to the gym, and we do, you know, the quick quick express workout because we got to get it in, and we come home, we sit down, and we try to get everyone situated, and I put some more food in the microwave, and then if we have time, we'll quickly TiVo our favorite programs, and we don't have to wait through the commercials, and then we take a sleeping pill to help us get to bed a little bit quicker, right? This is our modern-day society trying to rush us to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. And hurryitis is a great enemy of our soul. John Ortberg said this, He said, hurry is a great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry can destroy souls. For many of us are in great danger. It's not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we'll become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. So this morning, we're going to diagnose this problem of hurryitis, and I want you to self-diagnose, and I want you to look inside of yourself and perhaps talk to your spouse, and we're going to see if we are inflicted with this disease of the soul, and then we're going to look to Jesus as to what he prescribes to us being the great physician so that we can make space in our lives so God's power can flow freely in us. So here's the disease, the disease of hurryitis, okay? So here are some symptoms, and I want you again to look and say, God, do I have this and what's happening in my life? The first symptom of hurryitis is what I call acute acceleration, right? You are haunted by the fear there are just not enough hours in the day to do what needs to be done. So you work faster, You drive faster, you play faster, you read faster, you talk faster. And when you're listening to somebody, you nod your head up and down to make them, you know, talk faster and be done quicker, right? (laughs) We get angry and frustrated when we have to wait, right? Slow people bother us. Like, what is their problem, right? And we go to the checkout lines, and you play this game. All right, which one is going to move the fastest? Well, and you look at makes and models of cars and say, yeah, that one probably accelerates a little faster, so I'm going to get in that lane. Okay? Acute acceleration. If you are plagued with this symptom, you might have hurryitis. The next one is what I call multitasking disorder. Okay? You know what I'm talking about by the laughter, right? You're always doing more than one thing at a time, right? You're in line, you're on your cell phone. If you're in the car, you're driving, you're eating, you're drinking, you're texting, you're monitoring the radio, you're shaving, or you're applying makeup all at the same time. When you're watching TV, you're eating, you're on the phone, you're having a conversation all at the same time. We try to put so many things into our life, and it's a multitasking disorder, and often we are plagued with this, and we also have ourselves moving, moving, moving. If you have multitasking disorder, you might have hurryitis. Now, the next symptom is this. 
what I call clutteration, okay? You have stacks of stuff all around, okay? Just think through your house right now. If you're walking through, what do you see, okay? If you have a stack of unpaid bills here, if you have a stack of paperwork here, if you have a stack of, of unfinished problems, there's a problem. And we buy time-saving gadgets, and we don't have the time or patience to read the instructions, so they just sit there in the box, right? Does this sound familiar? <laughs> if you have these things, you have clutteration, which is an issue for our disease. Next one is calendar congestion, right? Calendar congestion. We are burdened by all the things we failed to say no to. <laughs> Ouch. And we forget important dates, we miss appointments, and we fail to follow through. If you're living this way, you probably have a disease of the soul called hurryitis. Next up is something called surface fishiality. You're always on the surface. You're never looking deeper into the issues of your own soul and into the issues in others' lives. You keep conversations where you're most comfortable on the surface. Hey, what about those Vikings? Hey, you know, nice weather we're having. Hey, you know, I really like your tie. We trade wisdom for information. We trade depth for breath. And if we're trying to microwave maturity, it doesn't work that way. At night, we have this, it's called sunset fatigue, right? When we come home at the end of the day's work, those who need our love the most, those to whom we are most committed, end up getting the leftovers. <laughs> Ouch, right? Sunset fatigue is when you're just too tired, you're just too drained, you're just too preoccupied to love the people to whom we have made our deepest promises. Sunset fatigue has set in when you find yourself rushing, even when there's no reason to. There's an underlying tension that causes sharp words or quarrels because you are just stressed. You set up perhaps mock races. Okay, kids, let's see who can take a bath the fastest, right? Anyone here do this? <laughs> it's really not about them, but about us and our own need to get through it. We eventually lose our sense of gratitude, now listen, and our sense of wonder because we're so preoccupied with all of the stuff in our life. And then we indulge in self-destructive escapes from fatigue, abusing substances, overeating, overspending, obsessive surfing on the internet, excessive game playing, or even the worst, listening to country music. Because that's self-destructive. <laughs> the most serious, <laughs> the most serious affliction or symptom of hurryitis is this one. It's called love atrophy. Okay, that our ability to love or capacity to love shrinks over time because we don't have time for it. The truth is that love always requires time, right? Always requires time. And love 
and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. We start to see people as projects, oh, to accomplish or problems to solve versus precious gifts to us and the focus of eternity. We devaluate others by overvaluing ourselves and becoming increasingly self-absorbed. Hurry is just not a disordered schedule. It is a disordered heart. And at the end of the day, because of our overabundance, we become malnourished. We, have, we end up mentally and emotionally and relationally and physically and spiritually just unfruitful. More truly is less and less truly is more. This is what Jesus was getting at. In the parable of the soils, you guys hopefully are familiar with this parable. This is part of the verse. He talks about um, people sowing seed, and, it, and, it, and it, the seed rests on different soils, different people. And some people outright reject it because our hearts are hard. And sometimes the enemy comes and steals away the seed. And sometimes people have very shallow lives. And they think, well, if I add a little Jesus to my life, then my life is automatically going to get better. And when persecution comes, they get disappointed and they fade away. Now, this is the category in which most of the American church falls. It's a category in which we receive God's goodness to us, to receive the message of the gospel willingly into our hearts. And then, over time, this happens to us. The seeds are sown among thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it, here's the word, unfruitful. Now, the issue here is not necessarily sin. It's just that we are stinking busy, right? The um, pursuit of wealth, the worries of this life, the desires for every other things. And if the enemy can't steal the soil or harden our heart or persecute us, he'll just make us busy, right? That we're just focusing in on taking care of this and focusing in on taking care of that and focusing in on making sure everything is, is, is taken care of. And we're worried about this and we're worried about the future and we're thinking about how can I get all these things done. And we're trying to continually stuff more things out and eventually we are pushing out the Spirit's work of transformation in our lives because we're just consumed by so many other things. This is very ins- insidious that the, the enemy does. He just tries to squishes and squishes and more and more. And there's so many companies that would love to help us on that way and push their products to us all the time. We must be intentionally tenacious about slowing our lives so that we can have more space so that God can flow through us. If you want to see radical transformation in your life, you have to be ruthless about eliminating hurryitis, right? So we need to look to Jesus to say, okay, and perhaps you're saying, you know what? This is me, and this is how I live. 
We have to look to Jesus to ask you how he dealt with this, right? Even though he lived 2,000 years ago, I'm telling you right now, he was, more, he was in more demand than any one of us here, right? People were continually coming to him. People were seeking him. He couldn't even sit down with his closest friends to have a meal because he was pressed in all the time. If you think you're in demand, you're not as in demand as Jesus was, okay? So we have to look to him to see what he did so that there was space enough for God to continue to work, his father to continue to work inside of his soul. This is his invitation, and this is the cure for hurryitis. He says this. He says, come to me, right? All you who are weary and burdened. He says that he will give us rest. He invites us to take his yoke upon us and learn from him. For he is gentle and he is humble at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. He says, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Don't you like that invitation, right? Jesus gives us lots of invitations. He asks us to come and follow him, right? He asks us to forsake all things. He asks us also to rest at times. Often when I feel myself burdened, and I've been on the edge of burnout two times in my life, it's because I've been taking on burdens, I've been taking on responsibilities, That God never asked me to, but people demanded of me. So out of the goodness of my heart, I said yes to people and no to God. How do you like that? And ultimately, it's a lack of going to Christ. We are weary. We are weary. And this is from the toil of things you take on. And we are burdened from the things others put on us. And yes, we are to share each other's burdens. I understand that. But Jesus says, you know what? He'll teach us, he'll train us in a gentle and a humble way. With the end result being rest for our souls. Now, recognize there's still a yoke, right? There is still something for us to do. There are still places to go and there are still things to say. There's still activities to participate in. But his yoke is one that we are going side by side with him versus telling Jesus, come follow me, versus being with him and what he's doing. There's a big difference, right? Often I say, God, will you bless my mess and you help it make better versus God, what are you doing? Where are you going with? Are you saying and help me to do those things and those things only? Oftentimes we forget to ask that question because we are inviting Christ into our life versus going with Christ to his invitation into his life. Hello, okay? We have to be careful of this. And we can't go faster than the one who is leading. Jesus was often busy, but he was never hurried. Catch that. So this is what he did. I looked through scripture and I said, Christ, what did you do? And he did three things, okay? First, he pulled out. This is Mark 6, 31. Then Jesus said to his disciples, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. 
He said this because there are so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. I want you to find a quiet place. And sometimes the most biblical thing we can do is to stop doing. Okay? Psalm 23. We like that psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He what? He makes me lie down, right? It starts so nice, and then it all of a sudden gets violent. Lie down, right? Why? We're like, right? We're like this dogs, and like, what, what, what's next, what's next? He's our shepherd, so the first thing he says to us, hey, chill out, right? He's the shepherd, but God, what about, but God, what about, but God, what about, and God, don't you understand this? Thank you, Martha, right? Martha was busy. Jesus said, Mary, she grabbed on to the most important thing, and that was sitting with Jesus. Even Jesus, God's son, who was perfect humanity, found a quiet place. And this is what I want to recommend to you. You need to find a quiet place. But Dave, you don't understand my schedule. Dave, you don't have my kids, right? You still need to find a place that is quiet. And it could just be a chair that you turn to the corner, right? Saying, this is my quiet place, leave me alone, okay? could be that one room with the fan that you just turn the door and you are there by yourself. Jesus needed a quiet place and he needed it regular. And if you think you don't, you're not better than Jesus. Here's the news, okay? News flash. Each of us need to, if you want God's presence more seen in your life, you need to find a place of quiet. Shepherd, you need to help me to rest. So some of you need to pull out of some activities. How do you like that? Okay. Even some church activities. Whoa. Sorry, Pastor. I'm just telling the truth. Okay. Listen to me. We often sacrifice service <laughs> for true spirituality and connection with God. Often we can minister out of the flesh, and I've done it, right? That so many people, like the old-fashioned wells, are just pumping the handle to try and get more out of us. And at a time, you know, the spirit is flowing, and at times all they're getting out is mud of the flesh, man. And I've tried to minister because people were demanding, and all that was coming out of me was gross Dave, right? It was not pretty. Why? Because I didn't stop to be refilled. This is why Scripture says that we need to be renewed by the Holy Spirit, refilled with the Holy Spirit. How often? Daily, right? And sitting with Him. And it doesn't have to be hours on end. It could just be a time where you try to focus and say, God, today I want to center myself in you. God, today I want to hear your voice. God, today I want to speak your words. God, today I want to... Feel your presence, God, today. I want to breathe today. Five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. It's making space in the soil of your soul 
for the good seed of God's word to take root and to grow. By the way, and perhaps you know this, but need does not equate call. And life will go on without you. <laughs> right? It will go on without you. And oftentimes I think I over-evaluate my own importance and not go to Jesus. So you need to create some margin in your life. So some of you, if you say, you know what, that's me, I have hurryitis and I have it bad, you need to be ruthless with your calendar. I just did this this past summer. I said, no, 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 I got off this committee. I got off these engagers. I got off, and you know what? My life is having much more life to it, much more fruit in it, much more enjoyment of it, because the intentionality of just pulling out some of these weeds, and yes, they're good things, but they're not the right things. And God, give us discernment of this. <laughs> Jesus pulled out of some activities. I always thought it was rude of Jesus, remember this? When he was like, <laughs> you know, he goes to a town, and these people would come from miles and miles, and for days, okay, and he's there, and he's ministering, and then all of a sudden he just leaves, and the line is still like out the door. Like, Jesus, that's really rude, Okay. All these people were coming here. Look, and the, the disciples kind of had the same thing. Now, Jesus, all these people are here. He says, yeah, let's go to the next place. <laughs> what? Why? Because he was more concerned about the opinion of his father than the opinion of people. And us who have a problem with pleasing people have a hard time with this. I'm among you. I've had to be ruthless about just saying, no, I love you, but no. You're important. But if I'm not connecting with God... It's not going to be good for any of us. So we need to do that. Second, Jesus did this. You've probably heard of it. It's called prayer. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for what? Prayer. So you need to find a quiet place on a daily basis, and I want you to do this. I want you to find a quiet place where you can just get away just for a moment of time or moments of time. Then also there are times in which we need to find a wilderness, okay? So often we say, well, I want to be in the land of abundance. Oftentimes you need not need in the land of abundance. You need to be in the wilderness, okay? Alone by yourself so that you can <coughs> pray. Here's the deal. We're seeking everything else. But Jesus said what? Seek first the what? Kingdom, right? And his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. But we spend the majority of our time looking for all of these other things and forgetting about his kingdom and his righteousness. We need to spend some time in prayers. This is where you're going to receive, receive your direction. You see Jesus time and time again. You see him in the Gospels. You see his life. And he went away. And he'll go away and pray. And oftentimes it's overnight. And oftentimes it's just out in the wilderness. And oftentimes when we see him do that, he comes back with a fresh revelation. He comes back with new direction. He comes back and makes an important decision or an important announcement. This is Jesus. That's what Jesus did. And often we're just fumbling around in the dark and bashing our heads and stubbing our toes and going around in circles because we haven't stopped. We think if we keep moving, we'll find our way. And the truth is, if you just stop, you can hear what God would have for you so that you can go in his way, right? 
So when is the last time that you were in the wilderness, friend? And so often we say, well, you know, I don't want to go to the wilderness. And Jesus intentionally went there. The wilderness is not necessarily bad, but oftentimes it's a direct prescription that we need so that we can just stop, we can hear, and we can listen. If Jesus, the Messiah, God's son, participated this way in intentionality, we also need to do the same. Psalm 46, 10, we know this. Be what? Still. And then what? No. I'm God. This has to happen more than just once a year. Or I can't wait to get to that retreat, which is a great thing. We need to make this a practice. Again, if you want to see greater fruitfulness, there has to be an intentional pruning of our life. The last one we like, and we hopefully like all of these. Jesus played, do you know this? <laughs> Mark 2, 27. The Sabbath was created for people, not people for the Sabbath. What are you meaning here? Well, this is that we just not only rest, but we recreate, right? Or recreate. Some of you just need to get a hobby, right? You just work too much, right? Go collect something. Fly a kite. Go kill some worms while fishing. Do something. It's okay. You know what? It's good. You need to do something that gives you life, all right? God gave it to us so that we can rest. Well, no, I'm in God's army, but even God's army took a break, okay? Enjoy something. I used to be so wound up, I felt guilty when I was doing something for fun because God wanted me to be busy in his name. Hallelujah, right? I'm a recoverer also. He says, hey, rest, refill the well. And I like this quote. I don't remember where it's from. It says, those who don't work are called lazy, but those who don't rest are called disobedient. We have to balance this in our lives. I like this. God talked to the Israelites, and they knew about slavery. And this is what he said in Deuteronomy 5.15. Remember that you were... Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. But the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Now get this. God was saying to his people, hey, you know what? You were slaves. You were working all the time. Your time wasn't yours. Your life wasn't yours. Your children weren't yours. Nothing was yours. And you just work, 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 work all the time. He says, you know what? Now you're serving me. And because you're serving me, I command you to rest because I am more concerned about who you are versus what I can get out of you. Hello. Oftentimes we're in relationships that we're only connected to somebody because of something that we can get from them. If we can't get it from them anymore, we put them aside. This is a worldly way of relationships. It's about interaction. It's about what I can get from you. And once you can't give me anything anymore, I'm done with you because what I can get out of you is more important than what you are. 
God is completely opposite. You're more important to him. Who you are is more important to him versus what he can get out of you. Come on. We are not paper cups as in we take it and drink it and then after we're done, we throw away the paper cup because what's in it is more valuable than the container. God has made us to be vessels of great worth, right? You take a paper cup and after you're done, you throw it away. But you take a glass, you drink what's in it and then what do you do with the glass? You clean it, you wash it, you put it away. Why? Because the glass is more valuable than the contents. You have to know that in God's relationship, you are more valuable than what God can get out of you. And other people are more valuable than what you can get out of them. So you know what? You can just chill out and recognize that God is the one you're serving. Yes, he is a master. Yes, he is Lord. But he cares about you. So he makes us lie down. Often, at least in my life, when I um, was rushing, 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 it was not necessarily out of my love for other people, but out of my lack of trust of God. Everything is dependent on me, so I have to do all of these things so that at the end of the day, perhaps, there'll be just enough to get by to the next day. I want you to trust God at a deeper level. Oftentimes our hurry is because of our lack of trust. At the beginning of last month, beginning of October, my wife and I went away for a um, five-day, six-day retreat. And we haven't done this before in 20 years of marriage. It's pretty pathetic, but that's just the truth, okay? And uh, during the end of that week, <clears throat> no, excuse me, during the middle of that week, I had a time in a little prayer chapel, and I took uh, a piece of paper, and I wrote on the top, you know, what was happening, and I said, God, I'm going to write down these things in my life, and God, I'm trusting you for these. And I, then I, I um, went right down the middle, and I had prayer requests on the left side. I started writing, flipped over the page, <laughs> and started writing the rest of that page, took another page, wrote all the way down one side of that page, turned it over, and wrote all the way down the next page. Okay? I have that right here. <laughs> I put it in here. And then I left half of it. And my prayer was, God, I'm trusting you with these things. And I dated this envelope. And here it is. October 7th, 2015. And it says trust right here. To October 7th, 2025. I'm going to open this in 10 years. Okay? I'm going to read it. It's a letter to myself. And then I'm going to go through and say, okay. This is what I pray. This is what I trust in. This stuff like, God, help me to pay for my kid's school. <laughs> Amen? God, I don't know about this next season in my life. God, I'm concerned about this. God, I'm concerned about this. I put it in here. And now since then, when the stuff comes back, I said, God, I'm trusting you for that. And I walk away. Right? God, these are my burdens. And God, I give them to you. And God, I, I want to take on your yoke so that I trust you for these things. And God, I know that you know about them. And God, I'm not going to worry about them because, God, I trust you and you know about them and I'm going to leave them with you. Some of you need to do something like this, okay? And I'll tell you how this works out in 10 years, okay? We'll go and we'll say, all right, 
I bet you I'm going to be amazed at how God has answered those things. Not because I worked harder, but because I trusted more. And not because I did more, because I did less. And God to give them to you. And walking that way makes us a little lighter. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I trust him. And then in 10 years from now, I'm going to write another one. So you may need to do this, and I encourage you as a spiritual discipline just to go away in whatever time to take, and this is what's on my heart, and you may date it for a year from now or six months from now or five years from now or 50 years from now. I don't know. Do these things. So if you have been diagnosed with hurriitis, then I want you to be ruthless and intentional about ridding your life of this disease. It's not trying harder. It's being yoked in and learning from Christ. I want you to pull out of some things, and I'm sure they're good things. I want you to find a quiet place. I want you to go to a wilderness. I want you to recreate or recreate. Play a little bit. It's okay. In so doing the activities, the worries, the pursuits of all these things as they're pulled out of the soil of our soul, we'll see God's seeds, his life being more and more abundant. You will find that you are becoming more patient, more loving, more consistent, more focused, more present because you're intentionally pushing things out. Can we do that together? Okay, I'm doing this. And if you take this serious, you are going to see more of God's abundance in your life. I'm telling you, this is how it works. You have to start here, and there's other spiritual disciplines okay, that you can put in, but this is the first one. We just have to slow down. Okay? So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to trans- uh, transition into communion. So let's, let's pray together over these things. <clears throat> Jesus, we are so thankful for your invitation to us to come to you and learn from you. Because with you, we will find rest for our souls. Jesus, we thank you for that invitation this morning. And God, I pray, Lord, that you will help us with the sickness of our soul. Being so much in a rush and busy that there is no room for your work in our souls. God, I pray, Lord, that in this place, Bethel Christian Fellowship, in this community of believers, God, that they would, we would be intentional about making room. And God, I ask that two weeks from now, three months from now, four years from now, God, that we would be abundant with the fruit of your spirit, God. People will say God's spirit is there because those people are the gentlest people I've ever met. They're most loving people. They're so patient. They forgive one another. And God, forgive us (laughs) for trying to microwave maturity. God, and help us to just spend time with you. 
We need you, Lord. We thank you for your invitation. We ask for more of your Spirit's work in our life so that you be glorified in all things and through all things because you are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. You are our God. We thank you that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, <clears throat> trust and surrender are two sides of a coin here. We're just going to, in response to the word, and just before we come to the table, we're going to sing the song, I Surrender. And if there's something the Lord has just put his finger on, just, uh, yeah, bring that to the Lord this morning. I'm going to 